Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, I always feel when I come to Fairhaven, I'm coming home. I grew up here in Jenison, top of the hill, for those of you who know what I mean by that. Um, there's a handful of people here who have just walked with my family through life, and it's just great to be here to see them. I don't have enough good to say about Greg. Um, you know, I came into ministry a little later. Um, Greg was more godly than me, heard God's call earlier in his life. And anyways, when I came into ministry, Greg and I were very close in terms of the churches we were serving in. And Greg just really walked with me, mentored me, shaped me. Um, I probably wouldn't be uh, who I am today without Greg Vandermeer, so grateful for him. And I hope you know um, how fortunate you should count yourself um, to have him lead this church. So, anyways. I want to talk to you today about movements, spiritual movements, kingdom movements. Movements in which you see a lot of spiritual growth, a lot of people coming to Jesus Christ. You can see these in Scripture, you can study these in church history, you can study these in global missions. Um, we experience this in our families. Um, this is seen in the life of churches, life of communities, and even nations. The reason I, I want to talk to you about this is it's important um, that you understand that there's a rhythm, there's a pattern Um, with all spiritual movements, and it's important to understand where you are so what you, so you're prepared for what's coming next, um, and you know how to react. So, um, what I want to talk to you about today is that everything starts with a dream. When God plants a dream in your mind, or when God plants a dream in your heart in terms of impact, He wants to create, um, through you, through the gathering, of others. Once that happens, then you have to move to a time of discernment. You have to discern the dream. Okay, is this from God? Is this from me? Is, is this just some weird thought I have? And, and the best way to discern that is in community. I'm not individually to speak that into other people and let them speak that back to you. And then you have to make a decision to implement that dream. And then, boy, you got to get ready because there's going to become all, all kinds of difficulties in your life. Because any dream from God is going to be met with spiritual opposition by the devil, and it's all intended to destroy the dream, to get you to, to not have any spiritual impact um, in your life, uh, in a nation, in your family, in the church. But if you continue, if you persevere, there will be deliverance, and God will bring you to your destiny. And then the wonderful thing is you get to celebrate, you get to declare God's glory. And that's what I want to lead us through today. That's kind of where we'll be going. Um, I really want to encourage some of you who are here in the, in the dream. There's a verse in 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 that says, At the present you may be temporarily harassed by all kinds of trials. This is no accident. It happens to prove your faith which is infinitely more valuable than gold. So my goal today is to encourage you to, to, to lift up God's sovereign control and, and, and encourage you to continue in the dream that God's laid on your heart. 
And as we start, I just want to say that, that, that all the dreams we have from God, they have to be an- anchored in God's grace. I have a dream to have a full head of hair, um, but I'm just not fine. The only thing I can find in the Bible is where a bunch of kids came out and called Elijah old baldy, and then it, that story just ended really bad. So I don't think that's part of it. But as you're going through Genesis, here's what you're going to see. You're going to see that God gave Noah a dream um, to, to kind of push reset with the whole entire nation, and he told him, I want you to build an ark. And he said, by the way, I'm going to have you do that in a desert. And he didn't tell him this, but it's going to take you 40 years. He said to Abraham, hey, I'm going to make a great nation out of you because I want that your nation to be a kingdom of priests. Um, so you're going to have a baby. And, and, and yes, I do know that you're 100 and your wife is 90. When uh, the, the story of Joseph about God using him in terms of... Um, Saving the nations during incredible, incredible drought. Um, but that dream took him from pit to prison. And on and on we could go. But where we're going to land this morning is with Paul, the Apostle Paul. I'm going to be reading Acts 16, um, verses 6 to 12. If you want to follow along with me, it's on page 1719 in the Bible. I'm going to be Kind of jumping from Acts 16, 17. So if you want to follow along, you can. Otherwise, you can just listen and I'll fill it all in for you. But before I read from God's Word, um, let's pray for the Holy Spirit to, to have His way with us. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we stand here before you and we claim the promise that the Word of God will never return void. Um, We believe, dear Lord, that you want to do powerful things through this church, through our families, through our businesses, that you want to advance your kingdom. You want to see spiritual movement. You want people to understand your grace and your mercy. So we pray, dear God, that you would have your way with us, that there would be no resistance to your calling in our lives. We pray, dear God, that you would make us indifferent today to anything but your will. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Acts 16, starting at verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and they went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision... We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is a dream that Paul has about transforming people with the love of Jesus Christ. What I love specifically about this text is this is a text that's about reaching the unreached. This is about seven, eight years after the resurrection of Jesus. Um, Minimal people understand who Jesus was, the death, the resurrection, what it means. And, and, And Paul is going forward and he's sharing that message with them. 
In terms of church history, this is one of the most critical texts in all of the Bible because it reveals the catalytic nature of the gospel. This is when the gospel goes to Rome. This is, this is the reason we're here today is because the gospel went to Rome and, and it spilled all over into the West. The Bible tells us that after Jesus' death and resurrection, there were only a hundred believers in Jerusalem. And today, every potential place in the world has a Christian witness because Paul's obedience to the dream. Now, because of, of what I do, um, I get a front row seat to God's dream being birthed in people's lives all over India almost every day. And there's this little boy, and he's eight years old, and he's growing up um, in a Hindu family in India, which is about 84% Hindu. They worship 330 million different gods. His Dad is a drunk, um, spends most of the money on alcohol, brings very little home to the family, come home, beats his mother regularly and passes out. Well, a neighbor friend invited him to come to one of our children's Bible clubs in India. And he really saw it as an escape from the insanity of his home. He shows up at this children's Bible club and the teacher is talking about how Jesus answers our prayers. And this little boy was so captivated by the, the, the way she communicated that he, he went up to her afterwards and, and he, he nervously asked her a, a question and he said, if I pray to Jesus to kill my dad, will he do it? You can hear the desperation and the pain in this little boy's life that would even propel him to ask a question. And this children's Bible club teacher was so wise. She didn't scold him. She didn't shame him. She simply said, maybe we should ask Jesus to change your dad. And that night, that little boy went home and same thing, his dad came home drunk, passed out, and the little boy waited till the middle of the night and he crept out of bed and he stood over his dad and he prayed a prayer of only five words. Jesus, please change my dad. Mom woke up, what are you doing? Shushed him back to bed and this continued night after night. The boy just wouldn't quit and eventually the mom quit sending him back to bed instead she joined him in praying that simple children's prayer jesus please change my dad and weeks and months of faithfulness of praying god answered that prayer and this little boy's dad miraculously quit drinking his mom came to know Jesus. His dad came to know Jesus. The neighbors were so confused by the transformation, they began a journey in which they met Jesus. And it all came from a children's Bible club leader planting a dream 
in a child's heart. Now that dream was birthed from another dream. And that dream was the dream of our founder, John DeVries. John DeVries founded Mission India 45 years ago. He was working for the Bible League. And he had written this um, evangelistic discipleship Bible distribution little study called Project Philip. And the thing went global. People were using it all over the world. And John was traveling and teaching how to um, implement it. And one morning he woke up in India and he hated every single minute of it. He said it was an assault on the census. 1.6 billion people living in, in half the geography of the United States of America. The poverty, the blaring sounds, the smells, the idols. When he left there, he said, Lord, I will go anywhere you call me to go, but please never call me to go to India. Well, since I'm standing here today, I think you know how that story went. One night, John was asleep and he had a dream. He had a dream of the nation of India covered in complete darkness and little points of light began to spring up and break through that darkness. And John was spiritually sensitive enough to understand that God was calling him to transform India with the love of Christ. Now, it's great to have a dream, but you have to discern it. Here in verse 12, I love this, where Luke is writing it, and he says this. He says, hey, Paul had this dream, and once he told us, he said, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They enter into a season of discernment. Paul doesn't do it alone. He gathers others around as we discern. We want Christian community to speak into it. I also love this phrase, we got ready at once. For every ten dreamers, I'm telling you, there's very few implementers. You have to do something with the dream. As I think about India, as I think about John DeVries, our founder, what I find most amazing is that John had the faith to step into the nation of India because it is an overwhelming place to be. As I said, it's 1.6 billion people. They speak 121 different languages. It's the most unreached nation in the entire world. 84% of the people there are Hindus and they worship 330 million different deities. Now, when we say worship, I'm not talking about, like me, that I worship my yard, that my yard is my idol. I'm talking about actual physical idols that litter the landscape everywhere. In terms of poverty, the majority of the population lives on less than $2 a day. Seventy percent of all the women who live in villages are illiterate. In terms of human trafficking, India leads the world. You add to that child labor, child brides, plight of women, demonic influence, and you say, where in the world do you even start? Have you ever felt that, that God's prompted you, that God's called you to do something like, where in the world do you even begin? Well, Paul, John DeVries, began with a word. 
follow the Apostle Paul around, everything that he does is about the Word. When we started in India, we started with the Word. We, we started with that little one-on-one evangelism, discipleship, Bible distribution program, and John's vision was to get the Word out. John DeVries has all these little quips and quotes. We still say them today. And one of them is, God's Word is the seed by which all life grows. And that's the foundation of who uh, Mission India is. And, and, and for 45 years, we've never drifted off that vision of planting God's Word. Now, as we encountered India, as we got into it, the size, the diversity, the landscape, we understood that we needed a strategy with a scalability to reach the masses of people that, that lived in India. And because of that, the Holy Spirit moved us from planting the seed of God's Word to individuals' lives to to planting that seed in villages. See, India is 70% rural, so 70% of the population, just to keep things simple, um, live in villages. 70% of all the women in those villages can't read or write. In terms of the nation of India, it's growing so quickly that this past year, um, it became the youngest nation in the world. 50% of everyone who lives there is under the age of 25. And when you start to hear that, then you understand why we do what we do. See, we equip indigenous Indians. We don't send North Americans. We work all with indigenous believers. And we equip them to plant churches through launching children's Bible clubs, adult literacy classes, and, and doing church planter training and God's word is the foundation and every single disciple will receive a whole Bible or a New Testament. And the reason is, is because that's where all the power comes from. See, the the Bible is not just to inform us. The Bible is to transform us and it has the power to do that. And you're going to find that out for the next 39 months if Greg has his way. So... (laughs) So as you follow Paul, this is his second missionary journey. And let me just encourage you here with how powerful the Word of God is. As you follow Paul to Thessalonica, it says, He reasoned with them from Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead. He went to Berea, and you hear Paul say, You received the Word with joy, with much affliction, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes to Athens, and we read, And Paul taught the Scriptures there, and they received it, examining the Scriptures every single day. Then in Corinth, he goes there, and, and he goes to the city of Aphrodite, which is the goddess of love, which there's a huge pagan temple that with thousands and thousands of prostitutes who come down and ply their trade every single night. And it says when Silas and Timothy arrived, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying that Christ Jesus, that Christ was Jesus. However, many opposed him. And reviled him. You can have the dream. You can implement the dream. But I'm telling you, there will be difficulties. I, I, I don't mean this. I don't want to be you know, doom and gloom. But I'm telling you, you're going to spend 39 weeks going through the Bible. Going through Genesis. There's going to be problems. There's going to be, that, that's a spiritual strategy the church is implementing to, to, to help us understand and be transformed. And Satan is going to, going to counter that. So don't be surprised. 
I mean, there is transformative power in the Word, and it's contagious, but I'm going to tell you not everyone is transformed by it. Some debate it, some oppose it, because there's a spiritual battle that always comes with the Word. Every dream from God will encounter difficulties, delays, and sometimes where you even feel like you're at a dead end. But let me encourage you, in Acts 17... There's this opposition against Paul. They go before the magistrate. And this is what they say. They say, these men are turning the world upside down. And all they do is contrary to the decrees of Caesars, saying that there is another king who is Jesus. Now, I don't think they meant that as a compliment, but it is an incredible testimony of the power of God's Word. Because God's Word can disrupt a pagan world. When God's Word is spoken, it turns kingdoms on their ear. It overrules false religions, and that is because there is another King who is the King of kings, and He is the Lord of lords, and He is sovereign, and He is in control, and He rules this world by his word because that is how it was spoken into order was through the words of God and God's word can transform our lives it can transform our families it can transform our communities it can transform our children it can transform our God, our grandchildren. It can transform the people that God has placed under our influence as, as business leaders. It is the most powerful thing in the world. The Apostle Paul says the Word of God is the power unto salvation. I normally don't talk about Greek. It's about the only thing I think I remember from Greek is that the word power is, is like dunamis and it, and it can be translated dynamite. It is so powerful. We had a church planter. And he is out and trying to tell people who Jesus Christ is. We require that every church planner um, at the end of their training plants two churches, um, witnesses to 600 people, and sees a minimum of 20 people baptized. So he's out and he's sharing Christ and this and that. And he has a Bible and he's talking to this guy about um, the power of God's word. And this guy is just completely bored. He just has no interest and. And, 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 you know, um, he, the, the guy he's witnessing to finally, he's looking through the, the, the New Testament and, and, um, he says, wow, this is, this is pretty nice paper. Um, can I, can I keep this, um, book and, and use the paper to roll cigarettes? And the church planner looked at him and he said, I'll make you a deal. He said, you can keep that book, um, and you can, use it to roll cigarettes, but you have to promise me that you're going to read every word um, on the page front and back before you roll it and smoke it. And the guy says, I'll do that. He says, I'm going to check. I'm serious. I'm going to I'll get back here. I'm going to follow up. I'm going to find out. Well, sure enough, four months later, guy's back in town, and he sees the Bible smoker um, out of the corner of his eye, and, and he goes over there, and, and he says, remember me? The guy says, yeah, I remember you. He says, well, how, how, how's, the, how's the smoking going? The guy says, well... I smoked my way through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. <laughs> so I got to John, and I smoked John chapter 1, and I smoked John chapter 2, 
And I ripped out that page of John chapter 3. And I read it. And I could never light that cigarette. Because everything just made sense. It all lined up. I started to understand. I don't know it all, but I understand who Jesus is and the hope He can bring outside of all these other idols that I've been worshiping. And that's a testimony to the Word of God. See, we're in India because it's the most unreached nation in the world. I don't know if if, you, if we have this slide, but there's a, a slide the International Mission Board does, and it's a map, and it shows that. I think this is from 2010, um, and they, they mark out where the most unreached people in the world are. I mean, look at that. It's lit up by, the, like, the 4th of July. But they continue to do this study, so we have one that puts it side by side once. Look at that, 2010 to 2022. That's a testimony of the transformation of God's Word. And we take our three programs and they're scattered all over the entire nation of India. It's not that we're everywhere in India, but what I want you to know is there's nowhere we can't get to um, with these three programs. But it doesn't come without a price. It doesn't come without opposition. I received this email just last week. It says, Todd, one of our church planners is requesting prayer for a church member, Ganga and Lakshmi, who have been singled out and persecuted by their relatives for embracing Jesus. The couple received Jesus Christ two months ago and over, and over the fear of the vengeance of the village deities, some of their relatives and some of the Hindus in that village began to harass them regarding their decision. It all came to a head last week. Some of their family members and villagers barged into their house, beat the couple, destroyed their food, damaged their home. The couple is now taking shelter in a safe house. Please pray for God's protection over the couple and for divine provision to rebuild their home. India is one of the most persecuted places of Christians in the world. There's a a map that I have, and and India has 28 states, and 11 of those have anti-conversion laws. 11 states, if 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 you're caught sharing who Jesus Christ is, you can go to prison for five years and face huge financial Fines and, and there's just all kinds of physical repercussions. We used to hear about um, instances of persecution. So I've been at Mission India going on nine years now, but we, I used to hear about it monthly. We hear about multiple times a day. We can't stop the persecution, but what we can do is we can stand with those who are being persecuted. See, the greatest thing we can do um, for our, our persecuted brothers and sisters, for friends, family members who are under spiritual attack is to stand with them, to let them know they're, they're not alone. That's what God does in Paul's life. In um, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, Paul is just under it and he's sick of it and he's had it. And God again appears to Paul in a dream and this is what it says, the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid. Go on speaking and do not be silent, for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have, and this is the key word, for I have many in this city who are my people. When you're under it, when you're going through the tough times, the greatest thing we can do is let people know they're not alone. What that means is we need to get outside of ourselves. 
We need to pay attention to what's going on in the, in the people we sit next to on Sunday. What's happening in the life? Where is someone in this church, in this congregation, under it? Where is the attack? How can we come and stand around them and, and let them know they're not alone? And I'm telling you, the greatest thing you can give a persecuted believer is the Bible. Think about your own life, right? When you were in the midst of it, when you were like, oh, I don't know what way is up. And then God's Word just floods your mind or or you're reading that passage and you just know that God is there. The next greatest thing is Christian community, right? So as as in India, as the escalation of persecution has, has been increasing, our big rest, our big struggle has been how can we help people know they're not alone? We're already giving God's word. Now I'm going to be honest with you. This, I, I've been struggling lately trying to understand why only a certain percentage of people get whole Bibles and the other ones get New Testaments and. Anyways, I'm, I'm like, we need to get everybody the whole Bible um, in terms of understanding the, the, the character and the counsel of God. But the other thing is the planning of churches. We're already planning churches everywhere, so I'm like, Lord, what, 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 what do we do? And, and, and God really kind of gave us a vision. Um, one of our, our team members, um, really it's a reiteration of a vision John DeVries had years ago, um, and we call it a saturation strategy where we go into a district, it's like a county, here in Ottawa County, if Greg stood up and declared that, he, that, that, that there's a vision to plant a church in every village, township, municipality of Ottawa County, that's what we call our saturation strategy. It's a, it's a vision to plant a church in every single village um, of a district. And it comes out to thousands and thousands of, of churches. And it's a saturation so that People know they're not alone, that there's many in this village. And, and that's where Fairhaven has been partnering with us. And just for fun, there's a slide um, that I think is a pretty big deal about this church. But um, since 1993, can you put this slide up? Um, look at this. Because of your partnership with us, more than 200 churches have been planted in India in 22,000 new believers. 22,000 people have been rescued from Hinduism because of this church, because this church dreams big, because this church understands that God so loved the world that its vision is for the world. And this is our calling, and this is the path we're on. And really what we need um, is we need more. We need more churches. We need more intercessors. We need more prayer partners. We need more advocates. See, this is, this is only Paul's second missionary journey. In Acts 18.23, he goes back to the Antioch church, and that's who sent him out originally. And it doesn't say this there, so I'm injecting this, but I have to believe it's true. Um, but I believe Paul shared with them everything that happened in the, in the wake of these missionary journey are countless churches all kinds of believers, and 13 out of the 29 books that we have in the New Testament are because of this dream, because of this vision, because of, of all the support that went as Paul went out. And, and, and Paul's going on a third missionary journey. And what I want to say is, is we're not done. We have a, a vision to, 
to see 350,000 churches planted by 2030. And, and we just want believers to know they're not alone. We want people to understand the grace and mercy we have. And we just need more help. We need more support. We need more encouragement um, so that people know they're not alone. And we're grateful um, for this church and for all it's done um, to help us transform India with the love of Christ. Let's pray. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we come before you and I want to thank you for um, the faithfulness of Harbor Churches. I thank you um, for how you formed and shaped it over its entire history. I thank you, dear God, for its faithfulness to the dream, for its faithfulness to the word. I pray, um, dear Lord, into the next um, 30 Nine weeks, I pray to your God that you will do um, immeasurably more um, than Greg's ever dreamed or imagined um, through that series. We pray um, that this will be a spiritual renewal, a spiritual awakening for this community. We pray that marriages will begin to transform as they journey together into your word. We pray that children will hear you, will see you, will dream your dreams and respond to your visions. We ask this in your name. Amen.